Welcome to the Grapevine Society podcast, a platform for sharing the experiences of young people as we figure things out, from student life to post-graduation. I'm your host, Safiwi Blathketh, and in each episode you'll be hearing real stories from real people, because anecdotal evidence can be invaluable when it comes to getting the specifics. Hello, welcome back to the Grapevine Society podcast. We're in a park again. This time I'm with my good friend Eddie. Say hi. Hello. (laughs) And yeah, we're in Dulwich Park, social distancing. So again, apologies for the background noise. Obviously the one that um, Josie and I did in St. James's Park, which was episode two, had a lot of background noise. This time it may be a little bit better because we're not in central London. Um, But nevertheless, you will be hearing some some nature sounds so today i've got eddie on the podcast and i really wanted to speak about so okay let's give a bit of background information about you first i don't know if you want to do this um in terms of like who you are where you're from where we met what you did yeah um so my name's eddie i've uh just graduated from studying french and arabic at queen's which is where i met sophia yep um and i'm from southeast london cool um, so that's a little brief overview. Yeah, we both met at uni, at Oxford, and we're yeah living out our post-graduation summer in unprecedented times. Um, so yeah, Eddie did French and Arabic, and so this is what the podcast is going to be centered on because, I mean, to be honest, I'd never heard of anyone doing French and Arabic before um, because it's quite a niche. It's quite a niche subject. Um, so first of all, I want to know how you decided to do that, going from A levels to to degree. Yes, so I did. Um, I did quite a wide array of um, A levels actually. I did um, French, biology, and geography, and then Spanish outside of school because my school cut Spanish for some reason. It's good of you that you did that on your own initiative, though. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, it's because my mum's a teacher, so she got me on the course for free at her oh, college. That's good. So that was nice. Um, well, at least, as in, I think because I was under eighteen at the time, they couldn't charge me um so I enjoyed French at school I always knew that I'd want to do French at university um but the Arabic was sort of something it was mostly because like I thought I might just get um bored just doing one language so I was sort of like looking around seeing what the options were and I'd been interested in the Middle East generally like in terms of its history and politics and stuff so I thought oh well Arabic's one of the main languages spoken there might be might be interesting if I picked it up and I saw the, so my degree was actually EMEL, European and Middle Eastern Languages. Um, but you can choose, you can sort of mix and match any of the main European languages, any of the main Middle Eastern languages. Oh, okay. So in terms of like applying as well, because obviously, so you hadn't learned Arabic before. Yeah. How did you then like try and get, how did you get in <laughs> without knowing the sub- so subject? So I think the main things they were looking for is like a, a general interest in the region um, or stuff related to the uh, to the degree on the course material. And also like, I think they're looking for people who are, I, I guess, quite enthusiastic and quite open to new things. Um, because obviously it's quite hard to judge someone or something they've never actually done right. before. So what, what they do with the with the tests, you obviously do one in the European language that you've studied. And you also do the OLAP, which is not like, it's more of an aptitude test. So they give you a whole other questions that could be like a made up language with random grammar. And they're basically seeing how good you are how, at picking up new concepts quite quickly. Um, so they, they'd sort of like give a load of a load of sentences in, in this made up language and then give another similar sentence and ask you then to translate into this. I did not that, know that's, they that's did one this. Of the, yeah, it's a bit like the... Um, the language is Olympiad. I don't know what that is. You know the maths challenge? Nope. I didn't. Oh, what I do you mean maths? I didn't do. I mean, it was oh, really okay. bad at maths. Yeah, yeah, I left that behind in GCSE. They made, every, they made everyone do the maths challenge at my school in oh, really? from year seven to nine. What? Possibly up to year 11, actually. Wait, I do remember the maths challenge mm, now that you mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. it. So there's another one like that, four languages. Okay. Well. That's quite cool, actually. That's a deep memory in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> but so that was to like, so you, they basically test you, but not on the language itself, just like the way you think. Because yeah, that would be unfair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So in terms of structuring this podcast, so everyone who's listening kind of knows what to expect. I wanted to do it into like three parts. So like first one, part one will be about first year. Second part will be 
sort of like the meat of the podcast, like second year, year abroad in Jordan. Um, so I'm really hoping for some good stories to come out of that. <laughs> um, and then part three will be like third and fourth, like final years um, studying. So let's go all the way back to 2016, you started. Yeah. Um, and first year, kind of just like what it was like, um, if you feel like you've made the right decision going into a degree because obviously you know going into this language you don't know if you're actually going to enjoy doing it first yeah so um i i would say we're very much sort of thrown in at the deep end um with the degree um, mostly because I, I don't really want to slander the the oi as it was called <laughs> um because i do love it as a faculty but the oriental uh, institute the oriental, anyone, which is yeah. soon going to be renamed i think okay um, I'm not sure what it's going to be called, but some something something better, I think. Um, but anyway, they're not bless them. They're not the most organised of departments. But that was quite a shock for me because I sort of realised I'd be going into lessons um, knowing very little about what we'd actually be doing. And they, it wasn't. It was less the case of them asking us when are you free. It's more like these are the times you have to be free. And then I sort of had to base French or base my French hours around that because which was fine because the French the French part of things were very flexible um but the 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 vast majority of my first year was um taken up by lessons every day of the week except for weekends we had lessons two hours of language classes and it was really intense every day every day yeah um that is zero to a hundred yeah uh and the French we had much fewer hours so it felt like a lot less work comparatively uh, we wouldn't have to write essays or anything yet it was solely language based because compared to a lot of other subjects as well that's a lot of contact hours yeah yeah and especially for a humanities degree as well yeah. it's it's quite a lot and it's a lot more than i was expecting but it was it was good yeah um they, they sort of whizzed through everything so they, um they taught us the alphabet well, they taught us they, they we, we covered the alphabet in two weeks Covered. <laughs> i guess we wouldn't obviously be perfect at it for you know it'll take a while for us to fully come to terms with it but um no it was quite quite intense they expected quite a lot of us um and i remember actually in the very first lesson we were all sort of um sit, sitting in sitting in the classroom and we had this teacher who's a really good teacher um called nadia jamil um she's very very good but very she had a reputation of being quite scary sometimes <laughs> if you like would um forget your work or something but she she was great anyway and in our very first lesson she just started speaking to us in arabic um and we're all sort of like going like well we obviously, yeah. obviously we can't we can't reply to you because none of us speaks arabic and then she found my friend who um whose parents were iraqi and she who knew a bit of arabic not very much but anyway so they she then sort of put her in the spotlight which looking back on it is quite mean of her because um, she started. This girl started replying in whatever Arabic she had, uh, and all of us are sort of going like, "Oh my god!" Because what have I got myself into? Because obviously none of us had learnt any Arabic. But then I sort of, I sort of realised because I looked around the room and saw everyone else was kind of in the same position as me, thinking like, "What's what is going on here?" So it was sort of, I sort of realised that everyone else didn't know anything either. So it was fine. Yeah. Because um, like, how many people as well do? do they take because it's because it, mm. it is so niche i assume it, there wasn't many of you yeah there weren't there weren't a lot of us but it's got a lot a lot more popular within the last 10 15 years um i don't know whether or not that's because of the increased media coverage of the middle east in the news mm. i don't know but it's definitely become um more popular i think there were when i started there were 18 people doing no it might be too many maybe th- 15 or something, okay. something like that about roughly half and half doing it with a european language the other half did it with islamic studies okay so it's not just 14 people doing french and arabic in no. particular oh doing french and arabic i think there are only four of us oh really yeah oh, i didn't know that it was like so few yeah. is that how many spaces that they have across the year or so i think the, the course itself is it doesn't really matter what what the weighting is whether or not like they they ha- they, it's not like they have a quota that they have to take this many people doing French and this many people doing German. You sort of have to get in independently for each side of the degree. So you have an interview for French, you have to get in for French. You have an interview for Arabic, you have to get in for Arabic. So I, I think it's very, it's very entirely possible that it could be the case that 
I performed well in my French interview and not in my Arabic, and then the uni offered me just French, for instance. Yeah, that, that's that's a very feasible scenario. Yeah, I think I've heard that happen to people a lot with um, sort of English and a language as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you it's might get in for one and not yeah. the other. So you either can accept that place, or if you actually really do want to do both, then yeah. you know. So a bit more about first year, I guess. Like how was your year in general? Just a bit of an overview, all of that stuff. Yeah, it was very, very like. Um, grammar based a lot of it reminded me of um how they might teach latin or ancient greek which i had one teacher in particular who was very against the the the, the methods but obviously he had to sort of stick to a curriculum but i think i think ultimately that's quite good because it sort of drummed in the grammar to us so it meant later on when we're doing like difficult texts um from you know the, the 14th century or something it was we sort of had more of a grasp um I don't want to like um, also worry anyone, but I never quite felt I was in control. <laughs> Not just for first year, but probably for the entirety of my degree. Everything always seemed to be like just about. Well, you made it on the other side of yeah, it now, yeah, so yeah. that is that is one good thing that, yeah. that came out of yeah. that. Um, because I guess what I didn't realise as well is that with studying languages, um, and I guess just at Oxford University is this example, but. Um, for example, you are actually almost doing it as if you were stu- like you're studying the literature as well. So it's not just like you're learning a language. You're actually almost not quite. I don't want to like compare it to an English degree, like doing English, <laughs> English literature. But in a way, I'm trying to do that right now. Yeah, yeah. It's very. I think the difference between like uh, it, doing it in Oxford and doing it at everywhere else. I think a lot of the other universities sort of focus on the practical nature of speaking the language. Um, which would sort of, I guess, supply you well for going into jobs in translation or in business or something like that. Whereas Oxford, are very, they're more keen on the the history, the culture, the the, the in the case of Arabic, the 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 religion around it. So mm-hmm. obviously, Arabic's the principal language of Islam, um, and then also the literature of everything. So they see it more as a, I, I guess my degree ended up being very very varied in sort of the papers I'd take so you could almost compare it to classics in the fact that you do sort of a little bit of everything more so than you do in languages anyway um so I think that was a big part of it and that's the difference about doing it at Oxford and doing it somewhere else yeah you really enjoyed the literature though I feel like yeah, yeah that was kind of your thing yeah so the literature was good I didn't I wasn't a massive fan of the French, all the French literature we did in, in, in first year. I think I was, I preferred more the modern stuff, but I really loved it um, in my final years. And the Arabic literature was, was very interesting that we did. Yeah. Um, we did both classical and modern. So did they give you like a reading list before you came as well? For the French, yes. Yeah, we had to read the core, the four core texts of first year. And for the Arabic, not really. They just... A couple of books I put on would sort of provide you with a, a background knowledge of the Middle East or of any of the cultural aspects that you might want to go into further depth in your later years. But for the first year, it's very much um, language oriented. Yeah, like the basics down kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that was a nice little first year overview. I want to move on to second year, which is when you were obviously in Jordan, which was your year abroad. Um, because I obviously I know you went, but I I never really have asked you that much about it. I want to hear all like the stories and everything. But maybe before that, we should start with kind of like how this came about. I know it's a part of your course, but for example, does everyone go to Jordan? Do you go with other people? Is it like your choice? Because obviously you don't go to France for your year abroad. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how much of this is still true, like because I I know they've definitely had sort of um, nascent plans to like change the nature of the degree. So there's a lot of talk about uh, whether or not people would go to Tunisia instead of going to Jordan. So oh, that really? that was an option they explored for the people who have just come back from the Arab world. Okay. But no, I don't think anyone actually did it. Um, but when I was going, you could only go to Jordan. And you could only go to one of two schools to pursue an approved uh, course of study. And that was um, CARSID, which was like a very, in my opinion, Americanized um, language center. And IFPO, which was more the sort of, it was set up, I think, it had something to do with, the, with France. It was a French Oh, well, that makes perfect so sense. So it was very much, it was much more like the, 
I guess like a European university experience where you'd have tutorials um, in Arabic about um, uh, about sort of history or current affairs in the same way you might if you were studying international relations or something mm-hmm. in in Paris or something. Um, but yeah, so again, I wasn't fully sure of what was really going on with the year because it all came around so quickly. You know, you sort of just have have just begun to make friends, make good friends with people by the third term, and then suddenly you're whisked off on the year abroad. Um, so I sort of view it in that it wasn't good that side of things at the end of first year, but it, I think I m- appreciated it much more coming back for third year and having then two years in Oxford um, with my mates, and especially third year with a lot of my friends who are doing uh, three-year degrees, so it was their last year, so if I'd gone away say in the in the way you would in a conventional language degree in third year i'd obviously have missed out on that yeah there are pros and cons to exactly. that then yeah because i obviously imagine so normally the year abroad happens yeah like you said in third year because second year as well is such um it's such a core year for either extend like making more friends or just like really solidifying friendships in a way especially within college um so i would imagine that it's actually like quite a big worry to kind of you know you've just got comfortable and then you're really excited to go back but you're actually not going to be there and then things change in a year's time but um I don't know because it's so weird because I obviously met you in your third year and I was second year but again like it's so funny because I remember just like hearing your name around like Eddie told me <laughs> I was like who's Eddie told me why am I hearing so much about him like it's so weird like, I can't describe to you how like I just knew kind of like of you and I don't know why but like when we so I remember I first met you in the in the JCR tea kitchen mm. JCR kitchen uh JCR stands for junior common room for those of you who weren't sure um and I just assumed like you were a fresher like the new incoming first year not because you look that young but I just because obviously I didn't know who you were and then obviously I found out that actually we were from really near each other and it just seemed like you really like got back into it really easily in your third year like no problem yeah I mean like I just wanted to sort of get back into Oxford life back on like you know the not not the carousel that's a bit of a weird way of saying it but like um basically just make the most of all the things I'd missed out on yeah whilst being in the year abroad because it did it did really you know you know famously second year is supposed to be the best it's a great year yeah yeah (laughs) so I sort of had missed out on um, everything that had gone on because for most degrees I guess it, you don't really have exams in Oxford uh, no I do I think most humanities yeah, don't sorry yeah um, so everyone just sort of like had a great time yeah um, not that I didn't have a great time I, no let's speak yeah. about your second year yeah, then, yeah. Like, cause, okay so how about the preparation for it because I feel like nothing can prepare you to go to an extremely different country for how long was it nine or ten months by the end of it for such almost a year um and you're did you go alone did you go with your course mates yeah so the the benefits of it is that you are with all your course mates who you've had lessons for every day for a year so four of you uh no 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 because everyone doing arabic it's oh, not just okay, everyone doing French right. arabic. so yeah, there yeah, were yeah. 15 16 17 that's of a nice us. group yeah so it was good and it was fine it meant it meant like that going to a place that um was unlike anywhere i'd been to before it made it less sort of weird for me um well it was you know because it's nice to see familiar faces in an unfamiliar place um but like one of um obviously then the downside of that is that it can be very tempting to sort of spend time with your english speaking friends and not actually practice uh your arabic that much um but it was quite difficult at first because i think what a lot of people don't tell you is that the the main problem with learning arabic as a language is it's diglossia um which basically is like um that it's split into um two two forms so there's the modern standard arabic or fusha which is what everyone is taught at or well most of the institutions and then there's the sort of the the regional dialects which is what people actually speak so i could sort of go out there and understand the news and speak to people and be understood but um when people would speak to me directly you know i could barely order a cup of coffee in a coffee house after studying it for a year is it really Um, that different it's not to like a native speaker 
um, but um, so it takes a while to sort of tune into it. Yeah. For me personally, I found that anyway, um, and so I'd sort of you know be trying to speak to uh, to everyone in this really formal, elaborate way of saying things, and just I wasn't used to hearing uh the sounds of the Jordanian dialect because a lot a lot of, a lot of it's in the accent but it's also with the sort of everyday words um and so i think if you were to speak about something um for want of a better word like quite highbrow like politics or something it would be the the vocabulary would be pretty much the same but it's just the everyday things like oh uh, you know bring 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 some water or i'm just going yeah. to the shops that so like the colloquial yeah. kind of talk yeah um so that's kind of like a big adjustment then. Yeah, I think now though they've started to give them uh, the the new students classes though in this oh, that's good. dialect. So that's obviously a massive advantage. Yeah. Wish wish we'd had that. <laughs> <laughs> Live and you learn. Exactly. Um, yeah. Okay, so you get there, you arrive in Jordan. Where did you go exactly? Where did you stay? And what were you doing? Like, what was the set up? Because I assume this is done through the uni too. Like, you don't have to go out and find your own ac- accommodation, right? Like some other no. Languages. We, so so we we do. Oh, right, um, there okay. is the option to. St- um, so Karsid, uh, the the I sound like I'm plugging them. Um, <laughs> the language centre I was at, they they do offer student accommodation, um, but me and a couple of mates had already we'd already decided that we wanted to live out because um, I, I think one of, one of my friends had like contacts there or something, so we could get an apartment quite easily. But to be honest, most people just stayed in the hotel for the first week, and there are so many apartments going that you can get an apartment within within a week. Of, um, so yeah, we had to find that. But fortunately, we arrived a couple of weeks before our term was due to start. In fact, I think I actually left England not really knowing when the term was going to start, which is a bit of an oversight on my part. But fortunately, it turned out okay. When did you leave? What month? It was like the sixth of September or something. And okay. term would, was going to start. I think it ended up starting like twentieth, something like that. So it's, it starts earlier than the usual Oxford term. Yeah, but the, again, like the other place that we're at, uh, Ifpo, it started in maybe maybe October. But I'm not 100 percent sure. I didn't obviously didn't go there. Okay, so you flew out alone or with? Your I mates? flew out with my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, that, so that was fine, and we just had the sort of first couple of weeks adjusting to life in this new city. Um, Amman actually, as a city, has a reputation in the Middle East for being quite boring, um, which like, isn't strictly true. But I feel like after about a month there, you really have to take the initiative to find engaging things to do in the city because there isn't a lot of touristy things to do that could last nine or ten months for instance Mm -hmm. so you were there mainly to like you were studying a course right so you were still learning was it language based yeah so again it it was it was very much language based so we had we'd have three classes a day um it was actually we probably had more conduct hours than we would at uni um because we'd have a class in the morning and then one before lunch and then one in the afternoon and it, we would study media Arabic or like the modern standard Arabic we'd, have, we'd study classical Arabic and we'd study the Jordanian dialect um, so that would be the course of studies that we pursued and it was mostly again just like sort of language based with a sort of angle on in current affairs in the case of media Arabic and the dialect So no French? No, none, none at all so they sort of well they strongly advise you uh in inverted commas um to uh spend a lot of time in france or whichever country speaks the european language you're studying um off your own back in adjacent summers to the year abroad which i didn't do the oh actually no i did i did i spent a couple weeks in france that first summer and then the summer after i came back from my year abroad i actually didn't but then from third year going into my final year I did spend the summer in France Mm -hmm. did you feel like you really needed that in order to then complete your degree yeah 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 because you know you can't sort of not study a language for a year and then expect to be as good as you were when you stopped when you last studied it so I didn't really get much opportunity to 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 speak French on the airport like we went we actually we went to Lebanon um this air company was doing a really off a really good offer so there were cheap flights we end up going there and that there you could actually speak french obviously so, but that was only for like a week so it doesn't really count <laughs> i guess 
So how was, um, so I want like the story. So on the time off that you weren't like studying and stuff, what, like, what did you do? What did you get up to? What was it like out there? It's definitely different. Like, um, I, I would say I definitely enjoyed it on net. So obviously there are bad things about it. There are good things about it. I would say it's a net positive. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know. I could um, tell Should we you. start with the Lebanon yeah, story? About the, yeah, so when we went to Lebanon, um we spent sort of five days there in uh, we were staying initially in in beirut and which i really liked as a city it was really really good and interesting but um anyway and on our on our first day in this this hostel we met this this man called george who's a very lovely guy very interesting bloke clearly um he was syrian but he was working in beirut i don't really know why he was so he was sort of like a middle-aged guy probably in his 50s or something and he'd always always wear really sort of garish suits and tie combinations but whatever was going on and for some reason he was staying in this hostel which was you know frequented by um, students or travelers like us and we we got talking to him and in the end he offered to sort of um take me and my the five people i was there with on uh sort of ended up being like a 10 hour long tour of most of the country i'm uh, completely free like i don't know i don't know why he, he was doing that just so in his like minivan it was just in a normal car parliament parliament yeah but like it, it was a really bizarre experience it was great he was sort of like he'd drive us around and he'd tell us a bit about the places we were going through um and his car was it was like early november i think when we were there but his car was decorated with christmas decorations the whole time and we'd sort of be driving through these because Le- actually um people what a lot of people don't know is that uh, lebanon is quite a popular skiing destination really? um so, yeah so in in the winter obviously people go skiing there but um in we we were there just before the skiing season would take place it would be even more actually take place probably in february I, I mean that's actually a complete guess i don't really know but <laughs> we anyway we were there when there when there was no snow and we'd be going through these sort of skiing villages which are very very um, beautiful idyllic sort of settings very quiet and this George he decided to sort of like you know roll down all the windows and blast uh, I think it was a black eyed piece <laughs> out of the whole and like uh, I think red hot chilli peppers I love well, that which is quite a unique experience but I felt quite self-conscious of disturbing right everyone who was just sort of trying to go about their life but um he said yeah he took us to all the nice um sites of sort of the the Roman ruins at Baalbek and this nice town um, in Byblos, uh, which was fun. Um, and then he also took us right to the Syrian border. Uh, and he actually offered to take us over there, but we decided against it in the end. Um, I think the visa was quite expensive as well. So what was he doing? Like, just chilling? Yeah, I, honestly, I can't work it out. He he, he, ha- he, had, he had business in Beirut. Business? But I, don't really know. Okay. I didn't ask questions. I just thought... <laughs> Um, went with it but it was really fun I'm so glad we did and he's yeah like I said he's such a lovely guy so 10 um, hour round trip yeah 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 it was a That's good, good cool. way to spend the day yeah um, do you have any other um, stories that come to mind when you think of your year abroad I want to know about I want to know a bit more about the um, oh what story the hole in the wall story oh the hole in the wall yeah, yeah. Um, that was an interesting one so like we're living in our apartment. This is our second apartment now, where we moved in in around November time as well. Um, and a lot of the the buildings in Amman in Jordan, um, they're sort of these uh, apartment blocks, and every apartment block has its own. I think I think the it's called a doorman who sort of I guess just looked after the buildings and made sure everything was okay if you had problems and would give you would deliver you the uh, water because you couldn't drink the tap water. Um, and so that's sort of just, I guess, the context for the story. And and um, it must have been for about a week or so, or it may be longer. I can't actually remember. Um, but we'd ha- been had like rolling power cuts uh, in our flat, which is quite annoying because we were the basement flats, and in winter time it got quite dark. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, you know, we couldn't, couldn't so we couldn't use the heating because it actually it got surprisingly cold. Um, in wintertime really really bitterly cold why did you move from the first apartment um it was too expensive okay yeah it's just for that reason and we also wanted to be in a more exciting part of the city Mm -hmm. um 
but anyway, so we'd had these we'd had these power cuts for a while, and eventually thought enough is enough. We'll call an electrician. So we spoke to the doorman, who spoke to an electrician, who then came round, and our fuse box was sort of fitted in one of our walls, which is more. It wasn't like a supporting wall. It wasn't an outer wall. It was like an, an inner one around the lift shaft that would serve the whole apartment, and it was just made of. It must be something like plasterboard or something, and the fuse box was fitted in there with like a, a plastic casing around it on the outside so you could see all the little switches and stuff obviously we didn't touch them because uh, we didn't know what it would do but anyway the, the electrician came in and because um we had, had to turn we had to turn the electricity off just in case he you know would be fiddling around with the wires so we didn't have any lights so he borrowed the doorman's phone to shine into this gap behind the plasterboard to look at look down at the fuse box to see if any of the wires were loose and he ended up sort of dropping the doorman's phone in behind the wall <laughs> God. so we could sort of we heard this phone going off every time we get a message or a notification and we thought oh god how we can what's going to happen now and um the doorman uh which is what he he sort of came over and was started tapping the wall in in arabic saying this isn't a real wall or words to that effect uh and we're like okay what's he gonna do so my flatmate had the foresight to actually film what happened next just in case we got into trouble with the uh, the landlord, who sort of wasn't affiliated with the doorman, he just owned the flat that the doorman serviced. Uh, so then the doorman goes and then comes back with like a uh, one of those really thin saws with the handles that you'd have in DT. I can't remember the name of them. Um, I'm not even going to attempt it. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> but it was one of, the, one, of, one of those saws. We've all used them probably. And he starts like cutting a hole in our wall. Right. Um, and then he took out this, it must have been like, you know, 10 inches by 10 inches square panel out of the wall. And it wasn't like even nicely cut. It was like jagged. Packed. and like, yeah, 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 honestly. And um, we were like, oh God, what are we going to tell the landlord? But luckily we'd filmed it. So if anything happened, he'd, the doorman. It's on him. Yeah. yeah. And then he, he decides to like, like tape it back on the wall as a solution. So, so we just had this sort of square, not either duct taped or sellotaped back into the wall for the rest of our time living in that apartment um, but we sort of made the most of it in the end and it became like quite a feature uh, of the flat and it, it never got fixed in the end but we never got Did in trouble for it no 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 okay. it's, for some reason they're just kind of calm yeah I didn't care but you got your electricity yeah eventually yeah yeah okay. that was one of them alright um, <laughs> um, and then uh, what is this Duke's house story oh, yeah. as well so for there's a there's a a a really old building that sort of periodically gets restored, I guess, in the centre of downtown called the Duke's Divan, and it was an old British colonial outpost that's been preserved just how it was when the British left in the fifties. Um, so it's sort of like a piece piece of history, and it's sort of marketed as a, a free open museum for people to come and visit, and it's quite off the beaten track. Like if you didn't if you again it's one of the things that if you're not looking for it you wouldn't really mm-hmm. find it or know what it was but it's really cool and it's painted blue and it's, it's it stands out if you if you know what it is um so we went there and we we saw it and it was quite cool actually i think i went there with some friends who visited as well and with my parents when they came um the people the the, the people who would sort of like staff the the venue they'd sort of offer you free tea and stuff and it was really lovely um and and there'd be sort of sheets with these bits of history about the 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 um the building and what it was used for in colonial times. I think it was an old Ottoman building, maybe. Uh, but anyway, that's by the by. Um, one time we had to made make a vid- a video project for one of our language classes, and we decided, oh, we'll go to this place and we'll start filming. What was it for? Like, what did they oh, want you to make? It would have been it, it could have been anything really it could have either been like make your own sort of short film or do a film about your routine or something that's and quite fun yeah and one of my friends yeah he he his, his his dad's an archaeologist he's really into his archaeology i think he wanted to make it a sort of um this is how we preserve history kind of film so we decided to go and do a bit of the filming in this in this place and we so we we thought oh, i don't know are they going to let us film here or not so we just sort of went in and said, oh, we're a film crew from the University of Oxford. We'd like to do a bit of filming on this property. Is this okay? And the guard sort of 
rings up the person who owns the place and has a conversation with him and is like, yeah, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Um, just do your filming and then come and speak to me at the end. So we, or somehow that's that's roughly what happened. And then, so we did our filming and then we spoke to the, the guy at the end and he said, uh, the, the Duke would like to meet you. <laughs> that sounds so like exactly, exactly. mysterious. Um, bearing in mind, I had no idea who the, the Duke, Duke was actually a person. I thought it was just sort of called the Duke's Divan as like a hangover or something. But we, we anyway, we got in this car with this mat. Looking back on it, it's a bit actually, it's not, probably not the wisest thing to do, but it seemed reasonably legit. And How we many were like, of you were there? There were three or four okay. of us, so we're like, if something Safety happens. Safety numbers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he drives us across downtown and back. So Amman's like a lot of hills. So he he drove us down through the downtown, which is in the lower lying um, geographically uh, region of the town, and then up um, into this sort of old villa on the cliff face of the next hill, um, which had sort of overlooked the Roman amphitheatre, which is one of the main tourist attractions. Um, and we 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 went in. It was a strange setup, to say the least. It was like this grand old house full of artefacts. Lots. He had a lot of Mamluk pottery and like old pieces of artwork and mm-hmm. sculptures and lovely ornate furniture and like old globes and maps and stuff. It was so so interesting. And we go into this room with this man who must have been about ninety or maybe eighty. Wait, sorry. You, I want to picture this. So you enter this room. Who opens the door? Like, is he just sitting there? Like, I've been expecting you, so, kind of thing. Yeah. So I, like, I wasn't sure who it was who opened the door, but I feel like it was like, if if not like a servant, like a butler or or, or something, because it wasn't, um, it, he wasn't sort of like family of the duke or anything. Um, uh, and I think I can't remember if the duke's wife was there or not. Um, but anyway, we we were sort of taken into this side room away from the main, the main part where the duke was sort of. It must have been the duke's study or office or something where he was lying down. I think I took a couple of he photos was lying actually. Down. Yeah, he was lying down on like a sofa or something like. Okay. That. And then he sat up when we came in, and he he started to, to talk to us. Um, and he talked to us. I can't remember. He talked to us about Oxford. He he seemed to. He he'd been there a few times. Okay. I I couldn't quite get the picture of him. I didn't know why he'd been there, like how he knew all these people. But it was, became very clear that this man was very well connected uh, all over the world. He spoke French to his. He had quite good French. As when I when I mentioned to him that I was studying French, he immediately then tried to change the conversation into French. Um, how did that go? Good practice. Yeah. Really. Um, what was he wearing? Um, I really want to get a vision of what this guy looks like. I'm trying to remember what he would have been wearing. He, it would have probably been like a, a, a jumper over a shirt and okay, not slacks but like trousers that weren't jeans. Okay. I Did guess. he look kind of formal? Yeah, like strangely formal, like like someone w- who would, like what you'd imagine someone to dress like in the fifties or the forties. Okay. Because I'm picturing some long embroidered full-on robe. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, it was. It wasn't the robe. <laughs> Um, but it was, yeah, it was like old fashioned yeah. sort of style. Um, and he would, he started talking to us about Oxford colleges. I think he name dropped Pembroke and Worcester and he talked about the summer eights and the rowing. Okay. So and was stuff. he English? No, he wasn't. He okay. wasn't. He was Jordanian. I had, he had very good English. I like, um, and as I said, very good French, but yeah, so he, he didn't even try to like speak to us in Arabic, even though we told him that we were studying. I think you wanted to practice English or okay. enjoyed speaking English, I don't know. Um, but yeah, we talked to him about a whole array of things and a bit about the history of Amman, the region, and what the neighbourhood was like he was living in, and, and then the the Duke's Divan itself and what his sort of vision was to preserve this, um, this sort of museum in the centre of town. And it was, again, like a lot of the things that happened on the year abroad it felt quite surreal yeah to say the least um but it was good and he he sort of we like exchanged contact details and we went again another time to have i can't remember if we had a meal with him or if we just had tea with him or something but it was so he like hosted you yeah yeah and then i i think we might have spoken to him once more in the future on the phone but that that was it we haven't seen or heard of them <laughs> since that's quite nice that you were you did get that insight into someone's 
albeit very wealthy like lifestyle yeah. over there. Yeah, I and I never got to the bottom of why he was called a duke, or if I did, I forgot. <laughs> well, there's a connection in your contact book if you ever need yeah. one. So yeah. I want to know more about as well, kind of going back to like day to day life. Like the food there must have been just like incredible. Oh, the food! The food was so good. It was like a lot of it was so cheap as well. So we in our flat we lived next door to a falafel shop. Uh, which made these falafel wraps for, and they were selling them for, it must have been 40 pence each oh my so which made it very very tempting then every day just to have yeah. three of them as your meal a day um which obviously i resisted most of the time but it, they were very good as well and also the fast food out there was so so cheap like really yeah you could get like a meal for like i don't know one pound fifty or something oh my God. which made it very t- then tempting to just eat badly all yeah. the time but I don't know when we when we'd go to the restaurants, which you we went to more often than I would go out for food in England, mm-hmm. obviously because it was more expensive. And um, we the food was incredible, like really really nice. There are a few of the places that stand out. There was a place called Babel Yemen, which I think um, I imagine must have done just Yemeni food. Um, we went there and that was so so good. It was so tasty. It was f- quite near to where we were studying. The 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 sort of um, place you take your parents as it were would have been um Fakhr al-Din which was like quite a fancy restaurant that everyone knows in the center what kind of food Amman. in middle eastern food do middle eastern okay. food um in particular it did this i guess it was a bit like um lamb tartar or something uh-huh. it was the lamb it was either not frozen but really cold uncooked lamb oh yeah with like, like garlic raw... and mint and it that was so, is it almost so like good. a paste yeah yeah really it's soft. like a patty or something yeah yeah that was really good and then the best one though i thought was um one my friend introduced me to it was called rosa damasina um and that did just the best food for really good prices because fakhradin was quite expensive uh but this one unfortunately it has since shut down oh. which is so sad because i guess we'll never get to go back um but that that was really good i want to know if you found like the best hummus out there because that home oh yeah, yeah. i just so want to go for that the hummus the hummus was good in all, all the places but the the famous place like hummus and falafel was um hashem's uh, which is like this downtown place it's, it's got it's not like a a sort of um really really fancy sit down restaurant but it's quite famous for sort of being this it's half outdoors half indoors um cheap food quick service really really good food you get sort of um like full um matabal and hummus and all these sort of dips and stuff that you'd have with bread and it, it was just quite nice to go to and it's it attracts quite a lot it's quite well known i think uh, um in like tourist circles and that yeah i'm pretty sure i've watched like a youtube video on it or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah i think i sent it to you like the yeah, other it's week n- it's no secret <laughs> yeah <laughs> but honestly like the food out there just looks so good it is incredible it's incredible so how did you find it like overall? Did you do do you feel like you'd probably go back? Yes, I'd definitely go back. I don't know if I'd go back for a year or so, but I'd definitely go back. Um and like you'd feel like cool going like alone as well. Yeah, yeah. Um I I mean I don't I wouldn't I don't know if I have many like Jordanian friends I could just say oh can I come and stay with you <laughs> sort of thing, but I could stay in like a hostel and stuff. Um, I'll be happy just going around it. Yeah, and it's kind of different when I guess you have an idea of a bit more of your bearings. Yeah, yeah, so I'd sort of know what I'd want to do. And I guess it's sort of increasingly, so a lot a lot of us on the Eurobroad didn't ha- obviously didn't have the best of time. I, I think that's just Eurobroads in general. Like, I didn't, um, I didn't enjoy it for long periods, but looking mm-hmm. back on it more and more, I become more and more nostalgic for it. And I think that overall I did have a really good time. Because you are just thrown in, like, you can't, really prepare Absolutely. for it right yeah, yeah. um yeah. so then yeah obviously we touched on it a bit before but then you obviously came back how was that first of all like coming back just even stepping back on like uk soil uh, i mean yeah that's gonna be weird yeah so i'd come back for christmas and also i came back in february oh i didn't realize but, you okay yeah but then not in easter uh and so i, I guess i came back for good in summer just when the world cup was starting Oh, brilliant timing. Yeah, so that was really good, actually. I, it was weird, but it was like, I think I'd had enough of being away by that point. Uh, and it was just a relief to be home, sort of having these home comforts and just um, that sort of thing. Actually, we, we sort of developed this in our apartment. It's almost this like cult appreciation of like jammy dodgers and stuff. Because it, oh. 
there's just stuff that we, we've, we're really missing the things that were so English in our minds um, not that I'd really like feel English but like growing up in yeah. London and stuff you that sort of familiarity with something yeah. that you haven't yeah. you don't see then like every day in your cupboard yeah did you miss it then like after being back home for a while or did you do you feel like it took you a while to kind of think oh I would want to go back there um, it did take a while for it to, but I, I sort of anticipated me wanting to come back, even if I didn't like it mm-hmm. fully at the time. Like, because the, the bits I liked, I absolutely loved. Like, there, there are so many good things to do and so many good things that we did. Um, but it did take a while to set in. I think I was very much ready to just immerse myself back in the whole Oxford experience because it de- definitely felt like a sort of hiatus in my studies. Yeah. Especially um, because it is, like we said before, it's that because Oxford's a big change in environment anyway and a year there I mean it isn't even a whole year it's three mm. eight three twenty eight weeks, weeks yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's not a lot yeah yeah so how was it like coming back to like Oxford for your oh, third it, was, year? it was weird at first I appreciated playing a football on grass again I feel like with the with the whole college life thing you just sort of have to embrace it and like because if you start questioning oh this is sad this is weird this is you know you can get really disillusioned with it but I think I guess just like yeah getting getting into the college life and like the sporting side of things the social side of things and even you know the bar and stuff yeah it's just sort of how how to do it because like I remember my one of, the, one of the people in the year above really made me realize how weird Oxford was because of like there are all these ridiculous traditions that people where as soon as you come you're like what is going on this is this is madness but then it sets in and you sort of get accustomed to it like the sort of stuff that you know you'd, you'd be used to seeing people go around in robes and like there would that there would be like a, a trumpet that would call us to second sitting right. like when you really <laughs> break it down and analyze it you're like this is ridiculous but i guess you just sort of gotta go with it and suspend your your cynicism it becomes like the new normal exactly um so how was how did your language skills improve like by the end of that year and then like going in to do like your course again did you feel like much much more confident yes it my french less so so Mm -hmm. my arabic my spoken arabic i felt really confident it wasn't ever better than my french but it just came more quickly and more naturally to me so i'd sort of um you know i'd sort of be thinking of a phrase and i it would come to me like that in arabic but like it wouldn't come to me in french as quickly even though i'd still say i could definitely read french literature but i wouldn't feel as comfortable reading arabic literature for instance um and so like i kind of wish actually so this is what um i think the cambridge course for arabic actually they get make you do your arabic language orals the the, the, the next term after you come back from the year abroad um which i think would have benefited because my arabic obviously you, you can't recreate living in an environment like that no amount of language tuition at whatever level can sort of recreate the the fluency or reproduce the same sort of immersion that living in a country might um so it it did drop but i don't think i could have expected to improve in the same way like definitely i sort of in my um final years i learned more or went more into depth, but I could never sort of achieve the same breadth or richness of language learning that you can mm. living in a different country, I think. And that's what everyone says about languages, though. Yeah. If you want to go learn some, some la- like a di- different language and you really want to be fluent in it, you have to go and live there. Yeah, you just have to, yeah. Like, And it, it is scary because you throw yourself in and luckily you had course mates and you were part of an institution or whatever. But, I mean, it's just like the most beneficial thing that you can do because you're actually spending time with people who use the language. Like yeah. what you were saying about having like the kind of colloquial version of it versus the version you were learning in a sort of academic environment yeah so it's really good to know yeah so then on the academic side of things how did that course like course structure change was it more 50 50 french arabic or more weighted towards french um so as is a recurring theme i think with my degree it was very much more weighted towards the arabic side of things um so obviously the the way final honours schools sort of work for my my degree it meant that all of the content I covered in first year would obviously sort of go out the window you like because you did exams in first year and that was that yeah you do prelims in first year and then uh, then you can forget everything more or less Uh, not obviously the the language (laughs) 
<laughs> just Hopefully the content. Oh, yeah. So you do most of the content actually the year you come back. So for EMEL students, the the third year, the year after the year abroad, is your busiest, busiest year, especially the second term. And in my case, the second and third terms, Hillary and Trinity, were absolute chaos with the amount of modules I was having to do. So because essentially for the Arabic, what you what you take on alongside language classes for the Arabic and French, you then do literature for the French side of things you do I did my period paper in throughout the year and then um, for the Arabic we did modern and classical Arabic literature um, so the first term was fine in terms of conduct house but then everything started to pick up uh, when we started the Islamic religion paper which um, perhaps shouldn't be a single paper I found additionally uh, the literature paper and the Arabic side of things again should be split into two because the amount of content you had to cover and the amount of work you had to do that would sort of translate into marks in an exam or translate into questions you'd answer in an exam was quite ridiculous I found. It's like never ending. Yeah so it was such so inefficient in the sense that you would so much of what we learned you wouldn't, wouldn't actually be covered. But yeah. it was the stuff we were learning. I, I it was very interesting. It was great. I I loved it. But um, I would have preferred it because the the for example the Islamic religion paper you would you would study everything from the Quran, Hadith, exegesis, theology, philosophy to sort of law and stuff. And you know I'm not I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> They're huge I, subjects. Exactly. They, they each one could be done so much more. In depth. In depth. And how, you could do so much more justice to a topic if you just did one paper on it. But obviously, I guess, like, then, then you're sort of going down a route where you end up with too many content papers. But I feel like it would have been better if we could have just either done two or three of those subtopics as an option and then gone into more depth. Because obviously, it felt a lot of the time that the the tutors would just have enough time to introduce us to their thing and suddenly we're moving on to the next topic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the tutors themselves were so enthusiastic about their topics that they could quite easily have filled a term schedule just doing yeah. their sort of subcategory of, of the paper. But anyway, that was that. And then we also had to choose an option paper for the Arabic side of things. And I chose Middle East in the Age of Empire, which is actually a paper run by the history faculty. So now, you know, sort of my degree is now being run by three different faculties, which obviously didn't help with the chaos. Um, but that by far and away was my best paper like I loved studying it and it also really tied all the ends together so um, I found that you know we'd be studying sources either in Arabic or in French for the history paper Um, and then these these sort of names of key figures that would crop up in sort of intellectual political and cultural currents that would study in a history paper would be those same names that we may have come across in our in our French papers or in our um, Arabic literature papers. So, like Flaubert, for instance, spent a lot of spent a lot of time in Egypt, and obviously we didn't actually do anything about Flaubert in Egypt. But um, it, it just is another way of how it sort of all links together. Uh, and I thought that was great, and it also especially puts you in good stead for the bridging essay, which is what we then moved on to in our final year, which is essentially where you have to do an in-depth study linking linking together the two different sides of your degree. But at this point anyway, beforehand, I was just getting through a lot of content for the history, because it's a lot of reading, um, a lot of content for the French literature and also for all the Arabic papers that we're doing at the same time, all the while trying to maintain um, your language skills. Um, so, so I'd say if you can get through that second term of third year, then you'll you'll be fine. So <laughs> you've just, you've just, yeah, you've just got to prepare yourself for a storm. Yeah. So how was, um, I guess, like for a brief overview of fourth year then, how was that? So my fourth year was relatively empty in terms of content and, and contact hours, mostly because everything sort of clashed in the second and third terms of, of third year. I remember having to like try and sort the timetable yeah. with you. It was madness. You know, I'd sort of be having to reschedule tutorials to go to other tutorials. Some of even missed tutorials to go to other tutorials that I might benefit more from because I was worse at the topic or something and it was absolute chaos and the departments didn't talk to each other and I feel like I um, sort of alienated my French subject tutor because of how 
bad I was at organisation because I'd be having to cancel one class just because I'd have to go to another one or something. Yeah. And it was it was a nightmare. But you know, you sort like I say, you sort of you never really feel in control. But I think you've just got to come to terms with that. And once once you if you're fine with n- never being on top of anything, then <laughs> just go with it. Yeah you, yeah, you just have to go with it and like trust that everyone else around you doesn't know what's going on either. So it's sort of all right. Yeah. So then um, obviously our last term didn't actually I mean it happened but it happened remotely how was that because obviously you had to do your exams and finals online oh that was shit to be honest like <laughs> to be completely to be completely frank um I it was su- it was such a shame like um we'd all sort of been gearing up to this this sort of final big send-off this big nice sense of closure where we go to all these formal dinners and stuff like and the best time say, right? yeah and say goodbye to our tutors and then have a couple of weeks of just lying around in the sun, just in college, just going to the bar and stuff, which obviously never happened. Um, and so, like, the we still had to get through some language classes. We had a lot of um, Zoom lessons, which was fine, but, like, you know, I'd have obviously preferred it yeah. being in the classroom and being with the people. Um, and we had a few revision tutorials and eventually ended up doing finals online, which is a weird experience, but it didn't quite feel real. I can't imagine, like, logging on to, like... So how do they monitor that as well? Well, I think they sort of came to the conclusion that they couldn't really police who was using what resources, so they had to make them open book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, which was good in one sense, because it meant if I wasn't sure of a date, I would just then look it up. you just Google it in the exam, and then you'd say, this is this is what happened when, which you they said you're allowed to do. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not Exposing just, yourself. Yeah, right yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, but like I also think that could have been bad because it meant I feel like what the exams principally wanted to test was how good you are at structuring an argument how good you are at defending an argument and I think when you have all the information at your fingertips you're sort of the temptation there is to pack your essays with facts and be really specific when that might be worked to the detriment of your overall essay it also takes so much more time, right, flicking through things because you don't know what the questions yeah. are going to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. So you then have to, you know, go and find the right sources and the right dates so it does help if you kind of knew it anyway. Yeah, that's true. So it, it, I guess it was mostly the same in that a lot of the time I wasn't actually having to refer to resources, but it was always the case. There was like, oh, I'll just check this is right, just that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I'm sure no one really would, yeah. but it may be the new future, right? Mm. But then your orals got cancelled. Yeah, that was a godsend. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't feel my Arabic was quite up to the levels that it was during the year abroad. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess it sort of worked out well in the end. But um, you'd usually have to take French and Arabic orals. But I think they they realised that they couldn't timetable it. They couldn't be confident that there was no one sort of in the room behind the laptop, you know, giving you flashcards or something yeah. to read out. So in the end, they just had to get rid of them. Right. Well, that was a really nice overview of like <laughs> your four years. And I feel like we covered a lot of ground and hopefully this is going to be useful for anyone who's kind of unsure because it yeah. is quite a daunting decision to make, especially starting a new language from scratch. Yeah. Because how do you know if you've never been taught it before, it's not been offered in your school. How do you know whether you actually really want to do it mm-hmm. apart from like, um, bits of information that, which is already out there and hopefully this is adding to it um, so the last I guess thing would be do you have any advice for you know prospective students or people who maybe are just going on their year abroad it doesn't even have to be for Jordan specifically yeah. um, or like anything you just wish you would know you would have known I think don't be put off by the fact that it might be disorganized like just because everyone's in the same position at the end of the day everyone's got the same everyone's being treated in the same way it's not i wouldn't say it was like a uh a, a real turn off for me from studying the degree at where i studied it and like in fact if anything it became quite endearing by the end of it like i sort of really really liked it and and cause, because i think the course itself was absolutely fantastic i can't imagine having studied anything else i know a lot of, for a lot of the time during my degree i was like oh i wish i'd studied history oh mm-hmm. i could have done this maybe said what would happen if i'd chosen russian and spanish or something random isn't it but like at the end of the day i just yeah like i said i can't picture myself having done anything different and i wouldn't have changed what i studied because it was 
it suited my interests. It suited everything that I was um, passionate about. God, I sound like I'm <laughs> trying to get in. <laughs> but it really, really was just great because I got to do bits of everything. And I think for someone who has, or for any prospective student who has such diverse centres of interest, this would be a good course for you. And like, yeah, just again, just don't be put off and don't be put off by the the year abroad because it, uh, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Like there are times that like, I felt, what am I doing? Why mm. this is a bit shit. But like, I think just go with it and embrace it. Like, yeah, what else can you do? Exactly, it's all you can do. And at least you have, you know, you form a community and you form, you know, different friendship groups across different disciplines, yeah, yeah. which is so nice exactly. and super useful. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. This was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Pleasure. And it was nice, like, obviously hearing more about, like, kind of what you got up to in that year. And I, I want to hear the behind-the-scenes stories <laughs> now, so that's what's going to happen next. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I hope this was useful, and I will speak to you in the next episode. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with others so that we can expand the conversation and reach more people. Just say that you heard it through The Grapevine. To stay updated, you can follow The Grapevine Society on Instagram at The Grapevine Society. And you can also find all podcast notes on thegrapevinesociety.com.